Um, but uh, but yeah, East Asia has yeah, I think not in not in Chinese terms. No, uh, I think there's about twenty cities the size of London here, um, and it's 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 just the the the, the volume of people is crazy. So so yeah, I'll be doing that. Um, obviously, first week, two weeks, probably just get acclimatized and then family time and all that type of stuff, and then I'll start moving about a bit more. You know. Yeah, I don't think London makes the top ten. London's about ten million. Ten million, I think, is about conservative, yeah, right? So it's about it's about. It, it might it might be about eighth if it was a Chinese I think, city. Yeah, but it's it's hard to you know people like to say is it the center is it whatever. But I think generally speaking, London is definitely top twenty in terms of population size, by far biggest in in Europe. Uh, it's it's bigger than almost every other U.S. city apart from I think L.A. and New York. It's um, not as big as it's not as big as Istanbul or Moscow. Probably is a big bigger than Moscow, I'd say. Istanbul, Istanbul is probably twenty million. I would imagine. I have this image of it being absolutely massive. So, so we don't. Know. Folks, let us know what is the biggest city that you've been to. We want to know this. Um, I'm in Hong Kong right now, uh, which is a fairly big city. It's about seven million, um, but it's it's not on the size or scale of a lot of the uh, cities in this side of the world. So, which I'll be trying to visit a little bit um, in the time that I'm out here. Uh, so yeah, let me know. Um, okay, let's get on with the show folks um a quick sound check as usual in fact my question to you is probably a good sound check um so let me know in the comments not whether you can hear me okay um uh, rather more um uh, what is the biggest city you've been to um and i've actually got a feeling they might not be able to hear me mate. Um, i mean Jul juliana's just said hello from sao paulo which is uh, before you even asked that call to action before there. before That's i even said one. um some people are saying this, which is fine, because I've again I've changed right. the mics around for for the purposes of this talk, uh, of this thing. So hopefully the audio is fine. Just checking on LinkedIn whether anybody can hear and see me on there. Um, I think a few people are broadcasting this, including you, Adam. Well done on broadcasting on LinkedIn. You do this every week, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, I can see people um, uh, watching it there as well. It's cool. All right, amazing. Um, let's get on with it. Um, Finn, we're going to bring you on later because obviously you're the star of the show. So we're going to do that um, in a bit. So we might as well just review uh, the newsletter straight away um, and have a look, see as to what happened last week and um, you know what was interesting about it, mate. Yeah, no loads. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of bias goes into this show because I um, review the newsletter <clears throat> and I've got absolutely limited interest in assessment and several other aspects. In fact, most other aspects of recruitment, nearly always marketing and engagement that I focus on. But uh, John Vlastalika's LinkedIn post was a really interesting one because it's kind of cultural, I guess, as well. So the post was recommending you need a company-wide perspective on what you do about candidates cheating with artificial intelligence through the through the course of the recruitment process. And you know, he I think he I think he did a great job of covering it from lots of different angles. And one question that he posed right in the very middle of it was, look, would would we actually want to hire somebody who had access to using generative AI to complete their assessment but didn't use it? I mean, does that say they've got no gumption? Does that say that they've got no initiative? Does that say they don't know what they're doing in life? You know, so there's a lot of different perspectives, you know, on this subject. My uh, personal one is people should be using it for everything. Uh, and if, you know, obviously you don't use it to create, um, you don't use it for facts and figures where you, where somebody's going to potentially go to jail if you get it wrong or going to die if you get it wrong. And you have to human curate it. But if you're if you're not using it, yeah, you're you're probably inefficient. Yeah, and I I, I'm, I, I do like the idea of challenging what kind of morality it, uh, it is of the person that refuses to use it or doesn't use it, because I don't think necessarily that's a good value system per se. Um, I mean, you might just be uh, like very quite fixated on, on what is good or bad, like having a black and white view of the world um, and resisting sort of. Uh, the concept of using tools, which you know, uh, I think a lot of people would be would be fine to do. Um, but more to the point, um, John Blastalika, a great brain fooder, a wonderful person to follow, must follow, I would say, on LinkedIn. So go ahead and do that. Um, but he's one of those that actually has made a very important point, which is no matter what you decide as a business, 
um, uh, whether you think AI usage is right or wrong or how would you play it, you just need to develop some sort of company-wide position on it. Um, because without that, you're going to get your recruiters and your hiring managers each independently making decisions, local decisions as to what constitutes cheating or not. Um, and you might very well have the same candidate using the same techniques, getting banged out of one process because he or she is being deemed as being using tools that a recruiter decides is no bueno. Um, but in fact, another recruiter would say, hey, that's totally fine. Uh, absent a policy, there's no guidance to your recruitment team as to how they should behave when they're dealing with AI-enabled candidates. So I think he made a very important point. Remember, that I did a LinkedIn poll on this uh, late last year, and something like 89%, I think close to 90% of respondents said they did not have a policy on AI usage from the candidate side. So we don't have a policy, um, but I think we need to. Um, and I'm going to do that poll again. One of my predictions this year is that we're going to get to at least 50% um, companies will have some sort of policy by the end of this year um, on AI usage, because I think um, we're going to get caught um, with with that scenario. I think it's going to start hurting a few people there. I, I can't remember if I told you this, but um, I was doing a focus group last year and somebody told me about a data scientist who was working in her company who had just been fired after five months in the job because five months in, they realized that this person was using generative AI to do all of their work and actually had no real data science. I, I don't know why that's a problem. I, I said on the, on the focus group, why is that a problem? Because if they, got, if, they, if they were doing their work right for five months because they knew how to prompt the generative AI to get the right answers, like, no problem uh, to me. That's a second order challenge that we're not ready to have the conversation with, but I think it leads on to trying to figure out whether, like, what are we hiring for? Are we hiring for just a, a, a tool user for AI? Um, or are we hiring for a human being that we want to uh, potentially, you know, have an undefined value in the future? Um, and it's a really, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a question we're going to ask in 2025, I think, um, because there's going to be lots of those scenarios where you might have a super efficient AI user that may 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 like may lack fundamental knowledge, domain knowledge on the, on the thing that they've been tasked to use. Um, so useless without access to AI, but um, they're actually brilliant at producing the output. So what do you do? Yeah, is it is it is it maybe some next stage thinking around skills based hiring? And actually, we it need is, to go to task task based hiring. Can they get the see, task it, done? Dude, this is why I've been a critic of skills-based hiring, because ultimately skills-based hiring is great, but are we really assessing for skills or are we assessing for the ability to pick up tools and use them? Um, and then we start getting into things like traits analysis and IQ tests and stuff like this, which, you know, generally speaking, we're not very comfortable with. But if we're testing people on skills and skills-based hiring is all about real-world assessments, then... You know, where does AI feature in, in on this? Because it could well be it becomes a big equalizer as to who can perform on that skills-based test. Um, it may well be anybody with access to AI can competently perform this task with 12 hours of training, let's say. Um, in which case, what are we assessing for? Just train the people 12 hours, you know, uh, assess yeah, the motivation. Do you, remember, um, do you remember when smart calculators uh, came out and they could do all sorts of things beyond basic arithmetic? And there was a load of backlash from Jurassic Park dwellers about making making use of them and uh like I've, no, nobody nobody does their maths nobody does their maths a level without uh no you know without that now because it's not about like just your mental arithmetic anymore is it it's no but again there's another deeper conversation on that which is uh, has the use of the calculator in fact diminished our intellectual capability um like one of the things that is true is that our, our, our level of scientific breakthroughs has actually plateaued and started to you know really go downwards like why is that and there's an argument to say part of the problem maybe we have stopped training our minds because of the access to the tooling that we we, we currently have so in other words we produce more output a a smart guy with a calculator or a computer can produce 100 times more output than a smart guy without a calculator or a computer but they're not yeah. advancing their skills because their brain's not being exercised so it's like driving a car and not running running a mile um, and ultimately, are we going to end up in a situation where we have a problem there? Don't know. Um, it's, t it's a TBC on that one. Um, okay, so that, le that leads me nicely onto the, onto the next one, which is the, the OECD report about the um, AI workforce. Um, because what you just said about the number of like scientific breakthroughs that we're having plateauing, 
I'm I'm absolutely certain it's about to start spiking again because of the breakthroughs that we've had in um, artificial intelligence um, in the last couple of uh, years, and specifically the um, move towards putting it into the hands of consumers, everyday people. So the OECD report um, said a few quite interesting things. So I would have been expecting, like, like with a lot of tech-type jobs, um, I would have expected that there would have been a younger workforce who was leading in this, and there is not. I would also have expected that there was a foreign-born workforce which was leading in that, or a, like, a, like a high proportion of foreign-born people which were leading in that in European countries. And there is also not. So there's something a little bit different about artificial intelligence compared to other types of like data science and software engineering and, and those types of things. Um, it's a big, big report um, from about page late 20s, page 28 onwards, something like that. That's where like the charts and things that are quite easy to digest start. So I would skip through to about halfway through and and scan all of that fascinating stuff mm. not enough no i mean um as you would expect not 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 enough women in this area that that was the one the one the one like stereotypical type thing which is the case in ai jobs yeah 100 percent. that's true um and and they didn't ask the ethnicity question either but i would imagine it's a very white stroke asian type dominant uh, field as well um uh, which is another thing that you know we need to be concerned about particularly if we you know have the ambition uh, that these breakthrough technologies should be you know shared equitably and globally with it with everyone on the, on the planet but a really interesting report I recommend you read it um it is digestible gets into the charts really really soon and it's very interesting to know what the makeup the current makeup of the ai workforce is and by the way if you're hiring for ai which if you're not today you will be soon at some point you know we're talking about ai experts i can't imagine that not being something as part of your job as a recruiter um this document is going to be really important because you need to be bringing that to your hiring manager conversations and your intake meetings and all the rest of it and saying you know what guys this is what it looks like um this is the global marketplace for ai skills um and this is what we've got to uh, attack and use for uh, so make sure you check that out. And by the way, we are doing a 10 things you need to know on hiring for AI next month. So make sure you sign up for Brain Food Live on that. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, give us another one, Adam. Well, it, I mean, actually, these are all simultaneously kind of uh, moving from one into the other because on that, around AI jobs and things like that, um, the Glassdoor top companies to work for report 2024. Now, my pre presupposition is there is a direct link between the best companies to work for, which is largely about user review, right? So it's largely here is the here's what employees have said, right? So if they like it, I think there's a direct link between they will like it if the company is doing well, because if the company is doing well, it's probably going to treat them quite well. And I think that um, if you agree with that supposition, then I think there was, I could only see two countries that were covered. It was UK, uh, sorry, USA, including break it down by every state and UK. I didn't see any, any other countries covered. So maybe they're not prominent in any other countries. I don't know. Now, if you look at the USA, there was six tech businesses in the top 10. This is top 10s. Six tech businesses, two professional services, one financial services, and in and out Burger which I think is a fast food joint. Now, if you remove, if you take In-N-Out Burger out of the equation, the other nine are all knowledge-based like industries. They're mostly tech enabled. And then if you look at the UK, there was five professional services. So it was a bit different. Five professional services, four tech, uh, if you include Boeing in that, that's a tech and engineering. And then one which was like, um, I can't remember what they call it here, but they call it in America, senior living, you know, like retirement homes, that type of thing. The spread of industries covered in the UK and the USA, the top 10 companies in each country, 
is absolutely nothing. There was not one manufacturing company in the top 10 in either uh, country. There was not one, th th there's a lot of industries that are not covered at all. Um, and I think that's quite interesting because of what you just said about, like everything you just said about AI and every industry's become, you know, you're going to have to be hiring AI people in it. Um, the UK is is very well renowned as a knowledge economy. We don't really make an awful lot yet. And I'll come on to Wales in a minute because it links to another another thing. But Port Talbot has, uh, you know, Tata Steel are closing their site, 3,000 jobs going. And it's not just those 3,000 in Tata Steel. It's going to be the other 3,000 contractors that are in there. A lot of those will go as well. And then all the downstream stuff around supply chain, you know, from the chippy around the corner that services the people going in at lunchtime and whatever. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm no economist, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in all this. Yeah, there'll be downstream effects to this. And, and you know what, to be honest with you, manufacturing is just hard work, though. Um, uh, you know, what we've also seen is that people who... The reward, too. Exactly. Low reward and harder work, physically harder work. So, so we've seen this example where... You know, companies are trying to, you know, encourage people to join semiconductor organizations and all this type of stuff. Um, and the salary differential is massive compared to a software company versus hardware, software a lot more. And of course, in software, you're sitting in front of a computer, you're doing remote work, you're arguing for flexible labor, all this stuff. Actually, hardware, you are in this factory. You know what I mean? You're on, you're, you're there. So you're losing a lot of the things that we now like. So this is why it's not such a simple thing to say, oh, we're just going to onshore these things because there's a reason why you offshore them in the first place. It was tough work, wasn't well comped, and actually, you know, the people didn't want to do them. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's an, yeah, it's I, an interesting one. When, when I said low reward, I, I, actually, you you took it. I was meaning um, you took it. I was meaning like for the individual workers, and actually, that is of course true. I meant for the companies themselves. I mean, it, it's hard to make a profit. In a lot of manufacturing industries, really hard to make a profit. Um, well, mate, this like is why we. For, this, for thin. Yeah, this is why the UK and US went down the financialization route because actually it turned out to be a lot more easy to to make significant margin or if your if your business was like information, um, because you yes. you didn't have any moving parts, you didn't have any capex, you didn't have all of that stuff, uh, and that's the basically the. The deal with the devil, so to say, that the the, the Thatcher and Reagan made um, uh, was that okay, let's just charge down this financialization route, give the high profit margins and all this type, and basically turn everyone towards this type of career path. But at the same time, it's led to a massive deindustrialization across those countries, um, uh, which has uh, uh, created huge gaps, um, uh, inequality, for instance, and it's also now led to you know political manifestation um, with, you know, the, the uh, uh, rise of the right wing. But anyway, Absolutely. we can get into that in a, in a, in a different uh, in a different topic and a different show because we've got to talk about tech hiring. Um, so uh, let's get on with this. Um, we see Finn uh, adding some amazing commentary into the chat. Um, so we're going to bring him on screen because he's going to create more uh, exciting commentary uh, as he talks to us. Folks, um, we actually asked Finn to do this for us because um, Otter, of course, are one of the sponsors of Bring Through Live. But uh, they're also a company that has um, some really interesting proprietary data uh, on actual candidate behavior and actual employer behavior on their platform. Um, so I've asked Finn, Finn and the uh, data science team over at Otter, uh, and he's actually worn on-brand um, on brand equipment as well. I'm, I'm just so delighted. You never know. <laughs> I'm thrilled. <laughs> Good to be here, Hung. How are you doing? Great to see you, Finn. Um, Finn, for the folks who uh, didn't see you last week, uh, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Finlay Clark. I'm the VP of Commercial at Otter. Everyone calls me Finn, so feel free to use that. Um, we started Otter four years ago because people were telling us job search is soul crushing. Everyone felt like a second class citizen and no one was standing up for candidates. So we really tried to reduce the noise for candidates. We give candidates tailored matches, not just on the obvious things that they're looking for, but actually on things that match their ambitions and, and really what they're looking for, for cultural values from a company. And we give them jobs one at a time with great information about the company. And this means that they're making fewer but better quality applications. And for the companies, that reducing the noise works for them as well because Obviously, recruiters are drowning in applications, and, and what we've really managed to do is get people to 
right, opt in and really want to apply for these companies. So we really focus on fast growth, innovative, typically tech, but not always companies. And we help um, them hire all over the world for not just the tech employees, but also for commercial and marketing and operational and all the rest of it. So um, we're currently at about 1.7 million candidates around the world, focusing on UK, USA and Europe. So really happy to use today to go into deeper trends about our marketplace, what we're seeing, and hopefully it'll be useful for people in your audience. Yeah, fantastic. And two points I want to raise here. I think firstly, the um, the, the kind of the wall garden type of marketplace that you guys have, I think is going to be very powerful, mm. particularly because it can kind of suppress the AI generated application flow that we might be seeing on, on the wider. It's a little bit more wild west. I, I see it's just pushing ads out into the, the, the wider world. Mm. Um, and of course, um, the um, uh, the uh, the idea that um, you know you've got this dual sided curation, which basically is there to try and winnow away the noise, which is a noise overwhelming recruiters right now. Second point: there's actually loads of recruiter jobs on otter.com, um, so you're actually hiring recruiters on there. And if you're watching this, folks, and you're looking for work, for instance, yeah, uh, you know, looking to potentially change your scene, um, uh, get in there as a candidate. It seems that there's opportunities there for you. So, um, uh, so go crack through that uh, and have a look. See. Um, okay, cool. Um, Finn, let's let's dive into this. Um, I know I asked you and the team to do a bit of work and digging into state of tech recruiting in 2024. Uh, can you uh, can you give us the high level and then just take mm -hmm. it down whatever thread you want to take it down, man? Yeah, absolutely. So how I think I'd structured this session, and I must give kudos to the analyst team at Otter. So shout out to Talvin and Yoyi, who've been busy working on this for a couple of weeks. And what we've really done is we've, we're a two-sided marketplace, okay? So on the first hand, we've got 11,000 companies on Otter, and they've got thousands of jobs. So we'll talk at the beginning about what's happened to companies and jobs for the first part. The second part, we'll talk about what candidates are doing differently, because there's clearly more candidates in the market, but there's interesting trends there. And then lastly, I thought what would be interesting is to give your listeners an insight into what companies do really well in Otter, because there's a huge difference between the companies that get the bulk of the great cream of the talent and those that don't. So I'm happy to share some practical things that people can take away and implement today. So that's kind of how I thought we'd structure it, but I thought we'd start by kicking off with a little bit about companies and jobs. So one side of the marketplace. Happy to start there, Hung? Yeah, 100%. It sounds fantastic. Okay. So as I said a minute ago, we have 11,000 companies on the platform. Um, over the course, we, we've looked at 2023 as a whole and what's changed to where we are today at the beginning of 24. Over the last year, so almost 9,000 of those companies had a job live at one point. And I think overall, the insight that people want to know, I thought you know, your speaker from Indeed last week was really interesting. He was saying that we've seen a 60 to 70% reduction we're seeing something similar, not quite as pronounced, but jobs on the whole are 40% down on Otter uh, year on year. Um, this won't be a huge surprise. It's in line with stuff that the ONS have, have covered already. I, I think what's interesting is we look at all manner of different companies on the platform, and some industries are a lot more acutely affected than others. So you've got consumer, the ones that are most heavily affected are things like consumer brands. We've got travel and transportation, health and beauty, even science, real estate. These companies that are in this area with a tech focus have really been cutting back more than 40%. But then the least affected companies have been in areas like e-commerce, productivity, and then you know it won't be too much of a surprise if you're in AI or even cloud and security, you're almost kind of recession-proof. These companies are um, nowhere near as cutting back at the same scale. In fact, many of them are growing rapidly, as you know. So the way I think about some of these trends is like something like cloud, it's a 20-year technology trend, and we're probably even about halfway through that. With AI, again, it's going to be a 20-year trend. We're just at the beginning. So I do think with these things, it's kind of like, you know, whilst there are cyclical moments in the market, there are some industries where they're going to be growing regardless, and some areas which will obviously be more affected by this. So um, the other thing to call about just with regards to jobs is that, you know, we do have startups who are looking for their first um, 10, 15 employees on Otter, like they're trying to get to MVP. Those companies were the most heavily affected. So they really cut back, which is clear because the funding environment's radically different than it was. And, and obviously it's harder to hire because Obviously, these startups are more risky for employees. So if you're in a job and you're thinking, I want to go into a startup, 
now is the time where people are beginning to think, is the now the right time because of, of security that there just hasn't been for around in the market for a little while. So um, that's a little bit to begin with in terms of the overall market. Overall, more people in the market, less jobs. So this is why recruiters are really having a tough time, obviously, because their teams are smaller as well, right? Yeah, very, very interesting. I think very important to make the point on the different segments. Um, there is this economic cycle happening on one side. Uh, and then, of course, individual industries, regions and industries that will be segmented further. Um, and I think you're right. Cybersecurity is going to be on the up and up. There's no question that that's, that's a, a super growth recession proof industry that, that that's you can bank your your bottom uh, a, a pound or dollar on that um you can think about things like green tech maybe um maybe you can think about you know anything related to new material sciences all those types of things are in um uh, uh, where the future economies are going to get built then uh, you're in great shape but overall trend is going to be is is tough um for lots of reasons and, and the startup side we know where the vc investment has been um that's been uh, i think down by about 50 percent. so correspondingly we should see at least 50 percent downfall uh, of of job posted by those companies because that investment would of course go to recruitment um as uh as, as nothing else to buy at that point so very very interesting uh, were there any regional trends are, are you able to spot that otter uh, or is it uh, i mean are they like oh bristol's doing great or is, is it uh, sort of not is it, are you not comfortable making those type of statements it, uh, it's, it's probably less regional in the uk i mean we, we look at things in us europe uk we look at markets i mean usa they had major cutbacks in 2022 so around about the mid part of 22 was when a lot of the us companies and we could see the jobs begin to be removed from the platform and it kind of you know what it's like when the us catches a catches a cold europe get it later you could see it become kind of in in europe uh, and uk jobs began to um, come off the platform a bit later than the US. So um, it is interesting. I, we do look at regional trends and I've got a couple more things I can pull out today from some of the work that we've looked at. But I think what's interesting is when you look at jobs, the job side of the marketplace, what's interesting is that remote jobs, were, they've halved on the, on the platform. So seven out of the nine remote locations that we have, the, the jobs that have been tagged as remote have halved. This is, you know, you talk about in your in your um, newsletters every week about return to office RTO. What's interesting is the impact of that was similar in Europe and the UK compared to the US. So it's kind of like this is happening as a lot of global companies, but also companies that are in these markets are opting for the same thing. But as, I, as I'll come on to what the candidates are interested in, it's not necessarily what the candidates are wanting. So there is this tension here, um, which exists. But it's it, it's definitely, I often allowed it, to, it's like trying to get the toothpaste back into the tube. Like, how do you do it? Can I just not, um, add something in here, which is quite interesting, in that I recall from the Firefish recruitment, like 2024 um, study, um, reading which was in the in the newsletter at the weekend it said more recruit more recruitment organizations are allowing their people to work from home first and in the office occasionally there is less full time in office than there than there was um, right. each year so far which is which is not what i was expecting so that's actually mm. the opposite of what you're saying Finn about tech workers which I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm not contradicting what you're saying at all. I'm just saying it's really interesting that actually the reverse has happened for recruiters, as recruitment agencies seem to have become a bit more enlightened over the last. I couple would of years. say I would say that's a very much a caveat on agencies. I mean, because um, in-house, I think it's literally disappeared. I mean, guys, let let me know what you think out there. If you're looking for work, are you seeing remote recruiter jobs? um you rewind back 2022 that was the thing everyone was like people were dropping the 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 uh, flexible working as, as one of the big usps as this is, is gonna you know really align with your values but i think that market seemed to have disappeared in 2023 every recruiter job i saw that was on the brain food jobs job board was a was it on premise um, and I think for us, in, internal recruiters have gone in. Now, uh, I think the Firefish report was predominantly on agency side. So I wonder whether it, it, it was. Yeah, it was all agency. In-house. Yeah, in-house. Well, it is. I'm just gobsmacked. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I was just gobsmacked at that, that, that recruitment agencies were not having people like um, in the, in the uh, you know, 
in in the hot in the hot room in the in the boiler room. Boiler room, banging it out, banging the calls exactly. out. Exactly. Uh, maybe yeah. it's because <laughs> maybe it's because maybe it's because recruiters are like lone wolves. A lot of them they're used to building a desk on their own. I mean, I I don't know. I've, I speak to some recruiters, and I, I often don't think it's the collaboration thing that you get. Um, one thing that's interesting, just with the roles that we've got, and this is something that's slightly concerning for people entering the industry, is that when you look at the seniority of roles, I mean, we have roughly a third of the candidates on Otter entry level, like zero to two years, a third are mid, like three to five years, and then a third are like five years or expert, nine years and above, right? So we cover all ranges. And the entry and the entry level and mid-level roles were most affected. When you look at the roles that have been affected, so expert roles, those with like nine years plus experience, they're the far least. So when companies are thinking about investing, essentially they're saying in the past where we can get a lot more um, young talent into the business, they're holding back. They're not having as many headcount. And obviously they're trying to just get more experienced people in. But this is a problem for the industry. If you're trying to get into tech at the moment, it's a harder climate for sure. That's really interesting because the, uh, and I've heard again anecdotally, you know, if you're out of a boot camp, um, as as a developer, a career changer, let's say or whatnot, 2023 was actually a really really tough year mm-hmm. um, because companies um, uh, felt maybe right or wrongly, but they felt there was more candidates out there in the marketplace, and that led them not to have to look at mm-hmm. um, candidates that they would otherwise feel that they needed to train more or to you know handhold for a year or two or whatever. Um, so so yeah, it, 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 getting in on tech has turned into a harder thing. Um, and, uh, you know, the golden era of, of, of choosing a very high salary remote whenever you work, whatever you want, that seems to have receded very quickly there. Um, interesting. What, what type of jobs on, on platform, Finn, can we talk about? So, so tech is a big term, but can, can we dive into that and say, you know, are there particular types of tech jobs that were more or less prominently lost on, on the market last year compared to what, what the years before? Yeah, so th- there have been some changes. I mean, what was interesting, 2022, the second half of the year, we started seeing a lot of talent jobs come off. And I can cover a little bit about where we are on that in a second. But in 2023, we definitely saw a reduction in some of the technical roles. So this is for us, technical software engineering, data, product. And these, we had a 45% drop in these roles across the platform. So um, some areas were less affected, like operations and sales. I mean, I think when business is tough people still need great commercial people um but yes yeah, certainly uh, there have been some changes in categories over the years um but i, I often say to, to companies like still the, the best people they still have choices and, and and they're still looking for companies that really match them in terms of what they can offer and 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 you know for many of the best candidates they're not just like they're only going to move for really the right job and that's what we try and do surface these great jobs these gem jobs to people yeah, very, very interesting. Um, sorry, go ahead. I'll go ahead. I was gonna say, there was one area I just wanted to cover out about jobs, which I thought was quite interesting. And the point I was going to make is that salaries transparency has moved, but only in America. And obviously, we know that the Americans have put legislation in, and I just think it's another really obvious example where regulation moves the market. So to give you an idea, the proportion of roles on Otter that had a public salary in 2023, it nearly doubled, so 43% of all jobs. And obviously, um, in the US, it went from 30% to 62%, which is great. But in the UK, there was little to no change. And that was the same for virtually Europe. So we're one of the sort of only job search platforms that actually our algorithm is set up that if you actually put public salaries on your jobs and you commit to responding to candidates, we actually give you enhanced visibility. We, we actually give you more views because we think that you, you deserve them. So I just think it's interesting that, um, as I said, I know some of the bans on the rolls are really big in America and people are kind of hacking it. But I just want to say it, it is a good example of where regulation can move the market. And obviously, I think companies who are still burying their head in the sand around this, they've got to start looking at it this year. No, but that's very, very interesting. I think generally welcome. I think most of us have a feeling... In fact, I did a, that was actually a survey question in what the recruiters want. Like, what is the, 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 your opinion on salary transparency? And broadly, most of us were, were in favor, about two thirds. Um, so, um, so I think generally speaking, we feel this is a good thing. Um, and EU pay directive certainly um, is a taking an effect 
Um, I think it, it, it was agreed in law last year. It takes effect this year. So that's the EU will take care of. Uh, UK, of course, operates as some sort of outlier of, of you know, what the heck are we going to do? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. But I presume we're going to fall into line here. I can't imagine us being sticking uh, in, in, a, in a non-transparent way. So, um, so yeah, hopefully we'll see that. Um, excellent stuff. Go ahead. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I think, I mean, what's interesting, some of the work that my teams do with our customers, like take... Um, Hannah Briscoe and the team at Ovo Energy, they, you know, they put a case study to their exec team using some of the data that we had that opted for doing a pilot of public salaries on their jobs on Otta. And they've now made it policy. They, they, they won the argument with the exec team by using data to say, this is going to save us time because people who are applying, we can afford. <laughs> And they're opting in and it just, you know, I know there are politics in bigger companies with this sort of stuff, but I think one of the things that TA people can show leadership is by putting together a very quick pilot and test and actually being able to go back to data. Because I'll give you an example, the average viewing time on a job on Otter is 17 seconds. So people spending 17 seconds reading about a company, learning about a job. When you start adding the things that candidates want to see like salaries, it jumps up even higher. And, and so you're getting this deep engagement and it just makes the whole recruitment process so much easier. So it's, it's, it's something which I just think people can say too difficult, not going to bother. I just think you can, people in your community need to probably be thinking about it. And I said, we're happy to talk and share examples of companies that are, are making progress here. Yeah. I, I think, I wonder whether sort of um, salary, like jobs that don't have, uh, a salary declared on it will be similar to finding you know property that doesn't have a value on yeah. it at some point like are you even gonna are you even gonna click on it if it didn't tell you how much they want it's like it's a waste yeah. of time that like, you don't have the time necessarily to negotiate um so i think this is happening and michael thanks for sharing that i think darren's been great with publishing stuff and we do actually know why companies don't publish salaries there it's not a comp it's not a, a straightforward yes no it's easier if you're a younger company with less people basically mm -hmm. and less legacy um but we do know if you've been around a hundred year company you know what you're gonna have what, a dozen compensation plans and reviews in that period of time and everyone is off off being um yeah. so there's huge cultural reworking need to be done but yeah. if things like pay transparency directive takes place it's going to be forced on you and so that that I think is going to be a big HR project for this year, rationalizing comp. Um, and that will increase liquidity in the market. Some people are going to say, look, I, I ain't taking this new deal. I'm out. So um, it's going to increase fluidity. Cool. Um, okay. Let's, let's talk about candidate behavior. Uh, in fact, no, let me not guide you on this, Finn. What was the next thing that you wanted to discuss? Well, yeah, the, um, the, 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 final, the final thing I just want to say on jobs, because I asked the team to look, because I know most of your audience are in TA and recruitment. It's just to say, look, we have... 1300 HR and recruitment roles in the platform today, but it is 28% fewer jobs than last year. So I, you know, when we were prepping for the call, you said, tell the audience what it is. And it, it, obviously there are fewer jobs. Um, but I just wanted to say that like, there are new jobs coming live every day on Otter or every week. So um, it, it's, you know, it's difficult for us to predict where we are in this kind of tech winter of jobs. Um, we look at the jobs every week, um, but the candidate activity is up and that's probably what I'll lead with next. So I've covered what's happening on the job side of the marketplace. Why don't I can tell you what's happening to candidates? Because one of the things we look at is, how many applications are they making? How does this different, differ across the world? And, um, and, and what's really interesting as an otter, like our whole premise is about making people make fewer but better quality applications. So it's kind of like the opposite of easy apply. We, we, we try and actually put friction in the product so that you can't even view and apply for thousands of jobs. So what's interesting is that over last year, app, candidates actually make the same number of applications. So in the, e in the UK and EU, it's roughly four or five. And in America, it's roughly seven or eight. But the, the issue for your, recruit, your recruiters and TA people in the audience, they feel like it's a load more. It's not on auto. Like people are making the same number of applications, but there's more people and then there's fewer jobs. So this is why they're getting this feeling of, you know, there is, uh, there is the, the, we're trying to reduce the noise, but there's definitely this macro view, which is obviously um, playing out at times. So I think it, it's just worth knowing that that's kind of, it's not necessarily people making hundreds of applications. On, a, on actual average, the most common number of, uh, of the, the, some, the most common number of applications that someone makes on Otter is one. 
right? And 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 really, it's it's a what we try and do is get people to find those gem jobs. But I mention it because I just think, um, yeah, there are more people in the market, and that's this is where can TA people feel a bit of the pinch. But um, it's not necessarily with people making loads more applications. Uh, certainly, and that's what we see on our platform anyway. No, that's really good to know um, uh, because obviously the volume of applications per candidate uh, is some indication of motivation, I guess. You know, if you're if you're uh, a full time job seeker, for instance, you're going to be highly motivated to, to, to have a very high applicant rate. That makes sense. Um, but if you're kind of, you know, passively looking or just looking here and there, you're going to be super selective and just shooting one or uh, two things out there. So what you're saying is basically no real increase per person. There's simply more people looking. Um, or more people on platform, um, and then there's less opportunities correspondingly. So the overall applicant rate has gone up. Um, yeah. That's very interesting. Oh, by the and way, Finn, up, yeah. go on. No, no, you right. go. Now I was I've been banging on at some uh, at risk of boring the audience about AI enabled candidates. You know, increasing apply rate mm -hmm. per person. But I assume this that that's actually going to be more difficult within a closed system like Otter, isn't it? Um, they're not. They're, you can't apply from outside the system, as I understand. Um, so the, the, the way we work is that some companies we have with ATS integrations, you can apply directly on Otter. And I mean, obviously, there's a box where you can put almost like a sort of mini cover letter. I mean, we have seen candidates using AI to write this and, you know, just building on your discussion earlier, Chance, what I find interesting is that hiring myself is that it, the problem with using AI to write a kind of cover letter for a note is that you get all these applications that all read exactly the same. And I, you know, in our in our business, I just think if you're trying to apply for a fast growth company, if you really don't want to sound like everyone else who's applying for that fast growth company. You want to sound as though you've done some thinking. And I, I don't mind the use of tools, but I what I think is that people think they're being smart using these tools. When in actual fact, they're the danger is they're not able to stand out because people can begin to work out, oh, this sounds exactly like these three other ones. And then there's one candidate who's written something really quite bespoke. And I think that's that's my only thing about um, people. Yeah, you are able to use AI and there's always a role for it. But I, I just think that nuance is, is candidates need to be mindful of that. I would say that nuance applies to recruiters as well. Um, if you're banging out the, you know, AI composed messaging, that's all well and good because it's saving you some typing time. But I think it, it's a very short window of opportunity where 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 the, the receiver starts cottoning onto it and think this is sounding the same. And remember, by the way, all of these um, um, artificial intelligence services are trained on historical data, so so it, it's yeah. inevitably going to sound the same um, because it's going to go with what is most likely being said before. Um, so if you're looking for uh, unique or innovative ways of putting it, you've got to instruct it specifically that way to, mm -hmm. to kind of subvert itself rather than go with the, re uh, the initial recommendation. Um, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the question. I'll, I'll raise this, by the way, for everyone. If anyone's got any questions that you want specifically mm -hmm. Finn to answer, put it in the Q&A on the sidebar and we'll go to them towards the end of the, 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 the chat. By the way, folks, I've realized time as well. It's just been fascinating listening to um, uh, to, to Finn Wax uh, poet, uh, Poetical on this, but we're, we're kind of nearly we're 45 minutes in. So now is a good time to take a mini break because we always want to make sure that Brain Food Live is a conversation starting show, not a conversation ending one. Um, and of course, we do have to come off air in due course. Uh, and it would be a terrible shame if we were to do that. And there's people out there that want to continue the conversation in some other form. Uh, so now is the time to basically grab your LinkedIn URL, share it in the chat stream if you're watching this on Crowdcast. If you're watching this on any LinkedIn uh, threads out there, whether you're watching on Adam's uh, show or Finn's uh, LinkedIn or my LinkedIn, put your comment, uh, put your LinkedIn in the comment thread there, and then just connect to everyone you see do the same. Um, you should just walk out of this with a, a, a supercharged network of 30, 40 people that are interested in this conversation, tech hiring, uh, state thereof, 2024. Okay, Finn, let's get on to the next thing, man. Yeah, by all means. So I, I think what's interesting, you kind of touched there around passive and active candidates. And I think a lot of people think that you have to use recruiters to get to the passive candidates. And we've found that We've actually, when people sign up to Otter, we ask them, we say, are you actively looking or are you just actually not just browsing really? The funny thing about it is that we find that the people who say they're not actively looking, they get hired at pretty much the exact same rate as the people who say I'm active. And 
the funny thing about the difference, we, we, the reason we think this to be true is because we did some qualitative research with candidates and they said things like, yeah, I wasn't actually looking. I was just having a browse to see salaries. Am I being paid the right amount for my role and level? And then I saw this dream job at this company and, and I applied and I got hired. So the, that is one of the, the sort of discovery things which we drive. But the difference between last year and this year and passive and active is actually it's meaningful. So to give you an idea, in 2023, um, or sorry, in 2022, roughly one in four candidates was making an application, okay? And then last year, it's closer to one in two. So it's just around about 45%. So as I said, people make fewer applications on Otter. 80% of the audience make 10 or less. But the other really interesting thing with our marketplace is there's a stark difference between the amount of jobs that Americans apply for and say UK and Europeans. And we really, you know, we don't have <laughs> concrete evidence in this, but we believe one of the theories is that in America, you're kind of trained from a young age. Yes, you can go and do that job. Yes, you, okay, you maybe don't have all the things, but actually, yes, you've got most of them, like definitely go and apply for it. And as a result, I think there's a sort of cultural thing about applying for jobs and thinking you can have a shot at them, which actually does create a bit of a noise in the American part of the market. That's interesting. And I think that's true. I mean, again, we, we have to unfortunately lean into some stereotyping. I hope our American friends aren't upset with us on that. But um, I think it's, it's yeah, right. I think there's a lot more. It's, it's, it's to the credit of the American culture that there's a little bit more risk taking and, you know, let's give it a shot type of approach. Um, but I also think it, it's got something to do, uh, a great deal to do with, you know, things like notice periods and at will contracts and what have you. So maybe job insecurity is definitely higher in the US than it is elsewhere in in europe um and uh, in other places in europe and, and that basically is a, a, a liquidity thing so if you're yeah. at, on an at-will contract you're going to be thinking all the time aren't you about you know what a boss can just tell me to leave tomorrow and i'm, I'm done <laughs> um whereas you're in france you got three months even more um and there's a procedure that you need to go through and there's much more forewarning, which basically doesn't put you quite as much on edge. So I think there's push and pull on that uh, on that uh, issue there. Um, very, very interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, anything? Go, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so just talking a little bit more about candidates, what, what we find interesting is that when people sign up to Otter, we ask them what they're really optimizing for in their job search. And what's interesting is that the number one thing hasn't moved over the course of the year. So the number one thing is flexibility and well-being. So basically over 60% of people sign up for Otter say that's their number one. And then it comes down to like working with great people and then development and progression. And I just think it's interesting that, you know, come, what I said about remote jobs dwindling or diminishing and then people saying, but actually flexibility is still number one. Like, I think companies need to be smart about how they kind of square this circle, if you will. And one of the things we did at Otter last year was we realized we couldn't pay everyone like the top tier salary, like we just, we're, we're a series A startup. So what we did, we surveyed the employees and they said to us, um, actually, we want more flexibility. So rather than getting people to buy more holidays days off, we, we did a pilot of a nine day fortnight hung. So we, we get every second Friday off, the whole company's off, there's no Slack and there's no emails, right? So we've done this as a way, so we didn't think moving to a four day work week was appropriate to give everyone 20% of the time back, but we did 10% and we've made it work and we've made it work with, you know, maintain productivity, which was the goal. And ultimately our staff are a lot happier. So when I think about flexibility and well-being, and okay, it's easier for a smaller business like ours, but I do think that you've, what you've got to do is you, if you can't compete on areas like salary, can you compete in other areas? And, and I think we'll see more businesses moving in this direction. Yeah, it's very interesting. If they, uh, I think those two uh, elements might be uh, aligned as well in, in 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 a contingent way, in the sense that if employers are kind of pulling back on the remote, and that's expressed on the posted jobs that we see in Otter, but obviously lots of companies that aren't posting jobs may have made the RTO policy. That may then trigger uh, employees to suddenly elevate flexibility as a as a priority concern. If, for instance, you're used to working in, you now enjoy remote. Your company's called you back to office. You think, oh right, where's my old author account? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> let's fire this one back up. I think that's obviously yeah. going to happen, right? So, um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting interplay between uh, where we're at, and there is that tussle between employer and employee as to who wins out on this. Um, yeah. Okay, very very interesting. Yeah. So, um, go ahead. 
Yeah, so maybe that links in nicely to like the third section of kind of what our team have been looking at. So I've covered salaries and what the companies are doing. I've covered what the candidate behavior is, but like let's talk about it, what it means for people in your audience, the recruiters here. So the thing I always say to companies is there's a really big difference between the companies that get the most applications and auto and the cream of the talent and those that don't, okay? So what do they do, okay? Because fundamentally they have different behaviors and they're leaning into the things that candidates care about, okay? So I'd give you an example, just building on the flexibility theme that we just talked about. Like it's not enough to say hybrid working, okay? So what you need to say is if it's two to five days in the work, that needs to be clear at the top of the job or not. It needs to be clear, where is the office, okay? We've got a great small business called Hook on the platform. Um, and, and they basically say, they ha they say look, the whole, the whole team is in the office, Tuesdays and Fridays, and the rest you work where you want. We don't do finished times. We have a company culture of minimizing you can use them 24-7. And, and that is a really, really clear hybrid policy. You know, it's one of the best. And their employees rate it nine and a half out of 10 for flexibility. So I do think when people say, okay, well, yeah, we're flexible or we're hybrid. I'm like, no, job seekers want to know really, like, what does that mean? And you have a canvas to do that. And the companies that are doing this, as I said, they, they, they perform much better. So um, I, I just think, I, I know some companies, it's different between teams and departments. And I think you need to go to that level when, when you're trying to attract the best talent. That's a really, that's really good point. Sorry, Adam, go ahead. I think that's exactly the same. That's for exactly the same reason as the salary transparency, mm. isn't it? They want mm. to, I mean, if, you've, if there's ambiguity in the way that you're positioning mm. the offer, then they're like, move on. I don't have time to find out. I've got, mm -hmm. if I've got, it's, it's just exactly the same as any sales process. Mm -hmm. If the buyer's got questions, the chances of them moving on are higher. Yeah. No, uh, remove the question is what you're saying, Adam. And I think you're right. You've got to get, you can't just say we're hybrid. Like, have you thought about what that means? How does it manifest in the office? Um, what happens? You know, the, the absolute clarity of it. And again, it's not a judgment, moral judgment as to how hybrid you are. It's just like, are you clear on what your expectations and your staff are and what the feel like the social contract is? And then people can self-sort, you know, you can you can decide for yourself whether this fits you. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. I remember old mate of mine, you know, love working shift work. Um, you know, I would have hated that, but he loved basically walking around London when no one was around and, you know, being able to have three times during the day wasn't much of a night owl. Happy to say, right, I'm doing my nights. I don't care. Um, whereas that wouldn't have suited a lot of other people. So um, to each their own, just be clear what it is. That's a really, really good tip. Um, yeah. What other tips have you got us, uh, got for us that uh, have been on effective uh, hiring that you've learned from Otter? Yeah, so I think one of the other things that a lot of the companies who do really well on Otter is they're leaning into tell candidates what they're doing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we have a section of the job card where companies can really say with real degree of honesty around what they're doing. So you don't get a lot of companies say, oh, we're striving to do this. You actually get people who say, these are the things that we've implemented. These are the things we're trying. And these are the policies, whether it's parental leave, whether it's um, um, uh, flexibility, it's really kind of leaning into the fact that Diversity is something which people want to know. They want to understand that they're thinking about joining a, a company that is forward thinking and progressive in a lot of occasions. And I think what's interesting is that we find that on Otter, like 53% of the candidates on Otter are women. Okay, and we're a tech hiring platform. And even in technical, even in technical categories like software engineering and data, like two out of five of every applicants is a woman. So we, we've built this platform and, and, and it's because there's lots of little things that we do. Like when people sign up, we, we remind women that they typically set their salaries 15% lower than men. And we urge them to actually, you know, make sure that they are setting the right salary. And because unfortunately, Hung, there is a very learned behavior that if you're a female software engineer, when you are en at entry level in your career, you set your salary about 8% lower than men, but it's a learned behavior. When you're nine years at expert level, you set your salary 20% lower than your male counterparts. So again, we're, what we're trying to do is tell candidates of all different, um, um, obviously we've got ethnicities and, and, and gender, is that there are biases. We're trying to call it out and we're trying to help candidates. And what we see is that we have a much higher degree of, of diverse candidates using our platform to try and find work. 
That's really impressive. I was very surprised to hear 53% uh, candidate, sort of uh, uh, female candidates on platform. That's massive, um, particularly as what we know. Um, and I know you're not exclusively tech, but uh, well, from what we know of the tech environment, um, which is uh, majority male, let's say. Um, so, uh, so well done on that. Um, good yeah. place, folks, if you're hiring and diversifying mm -hmm. your, your teams. Uh, it seems that there's lots of, uh, lots of reasons to be on the platform. Um, okay, We've got a cool. long way to go. Yeah, we've got a long way to go, Hung, but I, I just think, you know, um, th there are things that companies can be doing. And, and, and I think, um, you know, the, the only other thing that I just really call out to people on is speed and, you know, being responsive and being able to get back to people timely. And like, I know that uh, you made a good point in your newsletter this week around recruiters being very stretched. But I think one of the things that we're trying to do is in terms of trying to reduce the noise, I'll give you an example. Our paid customers, our pro customers, they have ability to to source on Otter, so they can ping outbound companies in the back end. And we find that for every candidate, when they sign up, we actually encourage them to put things that are not on the CV. So like really, we ask them questions like, what is it you really want in your next role? And what are you most proud of? And and actually, we have this little yellow box next to a candidate where you really get an insight into what their mindset is. And what we find is that when you get people who actually use that information to ping a candidate and not just use a cut and paste thing, you will find that your response rates can be north of 75%. And I think we've got Michael from Equitas on the, on the, on, on the webinar and you know, he, he's found this out. Like if you use this type of insight to get through to someone, you know you can send much fewer messages and it's so much more efficient. So it's the kind of thing where I just think like, I think some people think recruitment is this numbers game and it's pipeline. And I think what we're sort of quietly proving is that you can reduce the funnel in, view in various places and sort of less is more, essentially. You know, well, that's an amazing bit of innovation there. Just to ask the candidate well, what is not on your CV that you really mm -hmm. care about. Like, why hasn't LinkedIn done that? Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like um, all of these generic messages just been piling out. But it just takes and, – and any organization can look at this and make it immune from being scanned or whatever it is. So it doesn't, you know, it's not part of the search system. But it forces a human reader mm -hmm. to read that piece. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's just a picture instead of text. Um, a text of a picture instead of text. Um, and then it forces, again, some thought into the email. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to be the di big differentiator in, you know, this um, uh, AI-enabled world we're, we're heading towards. People are going to resonate more with, you know what, uh, I see this. Uh, I mean, everyone is getting AI messages now. I think we're, yeah. we're all receiving these and we're all seeing those in comments and stuff. No, mm -hmm. I you can't respond to that. I mean, immediately it's an insult to do so now. So um, we're already at the point where AI start disabling the, the engagement rate um, to be able to say something very custom, very specific would be would be right there. Fantastic. Um, listen, Tim, we have to go quick. Go on. No yeah, just very last thing for your for everyone in your audience. Two things I just wanted to say to people who are listening. Number one, if you're not on Otter today and you're eligible in terms of you've got jobs in the locations we have, we can give you a free trial. It is Finley at Otter.com. And secondly, for those of you who are on the platform, I'm willing or we're willing to have little mini consultations with our product experts, no obligations, just to help you to learn how you can be a top performing company because there's this wide discrepancy. It's much better for the whole industry, better for candidates, better for companies, if we can just get this humming a bit more effectively. So the offer is there um, and, and honestly, we'd be glad to help out. That's fantastic. I mean, just reach out to Finn on LinkedIn. Finley, is it Finley.otter.com? Yeah, Finley at otter.com. I think um, I can ping it in the chat just now. Yeah, ping it in the chat, get free consultation, free advice, and a free go on otter.com. Why not? Okay, uh, we haven't forgotten about the questions. We're going to jump to them real quick as you type that in. I don't think there's that many, but we'll go to the first one. Uh, this is John Rose. John is saying, uh, what are you seeing as conversion rate from applicant uh, to candidate interview by client on Otter? Um, so, okay, conversion rate from applicant um, to candidate interview. Um, do you have a raw, raw stats for us there? I mean, it, it, it's, I haven't got it to hand. Um, I, I, John, I'd be happy to go and dig it away. The only thing I do know is that it, it, it does massive, it, it does vary depending on how the customer segment. So whether it's um, startup or whether it's SMB or a large com company. So um, I'll happily come back to me. If you ping me, I, 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 can, I can answer you. But it's in, in general, on Otter, it's fewer but better qualities. Like someone like Funding Circle, 
in the UK fintech, they, they said, look, we actually we offer one in three candidates from Otter that we we actually interview. So th there is this idea that they're getting fewer but better quality people through and and ultimately making hiring them. So yeah, I I, I can dig that out. Yeah, You'd expect fantastic. if the average person's applying for one job, mm. then they're doing a pretty discerning kind of job on that, and they're probably getting a. It's going to be it's, a high. It, the, the average, the average is 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 under ten, I think. But the most common number is is one, Adam. So that that's probably the best way to think about it. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Okay, Finn. Listen, we'll let you go on this. Thanks for doing all of the extra yards on this. This is not like part of the deal. It was just like, okay, this is interesting, and Finn went ahead and just dove into it. Thanks to the data science team as well for doing that extra mm -hmm. stuff. But I think everyone can agree, fascinating to find that information out, uh, and also how you uh, how the platform kind of adds those nuances, which really helps mm -hmm. candidate and the employer alike. So um, great stuff. Uh, okay, Finn. Listen, I hope to catch up with you soon, man. But uh, we'll we'll let you go at this point. Have a good uh, weekend, man. You too. See you later, gents. Bye for now. That was interesting. Really interesting. Um, and uh, really good to do this. By the way, folks, what is your idea on us doing more of these types of formats? Because obviously, Brain Food has loads of companies that you know want to get involved, want to sponsor uh, the platform. My previous view is, look, this is a discussion-based show. We want to have topics and all that. We're still going to do that as base. Uh, but I'm really interested to know from a platform, like what is actually going on behavior-wise. Because that tells us a lot that we don't get from thought leaders, right? I've been writing a lot of thought leadership. Guys, it's speculation as far as I can tell you. You know, honest, honest speculation, but it is speculation. Uh, but when you be able to draw data from the likes of this, I think it's quite interesting. So, yeah, I might drop a few more of these things in, in, in future. But okay, folks, listen, we're on time, so we have to let you go. Thanks for watching, everybody. We're back next week. Uh, we are talking about how to measure quality of hire in the age of AI. Uh, so number one, how to measure quality of hire. We don't know how to do that. Most of us don't anyway. But the additional twist is, what does it mean when everybody is AI enabled? Number one, can we use AI to help us measure quality of hire? Is there, has anyone done this? Has anybody tried to apply technology to improve how we understand a good hire is a good hire? Secondly, um, what does it mean in terms of job performance if we now have AI versus non-AI enabled candidates? Uh, do we put us sort of uh, sales targets up? Has anyone done that <laughs> as a result of saying, you know what, I think AI is going to help you make that number. Uh, is that even fair? Um, uh, and, you know, how do we do it? Has it changed how we measure quality of hire? So make sure you follow the channel if you want to get uh, more information on this and register for the show. It is live and up. We've got some amazing uh, uh, guests for us uh, to talk us through that one. All right, that's it, folks. I'll see you next week. Um, same time. Cool. At what point does it become paralysis by analysis? So here's the example. You've just said, like, should we be looking at using AI to work out quality of hire? How about we use AI to assess the, me the AI methods that we're using to assess the quality of hire? Yeah, at what point do we need to, need to get on with the job? <laughs> <laughs> at what, at what point do we just need to bang the phones? No, I totally get what you're saying. That there is a point. Uh, uh, there is like, what is? How do you judge the balance? Um, and there probably is like a number. Like there, there, there is. Uh, uh, or shall we say a percentage? Like, what percentage of time do you spend analyzing anything? Um, hey. There's a book I read when I was a kid. Now, I, re I probably shouldn't have read it when I was a kid because it's a bit dark. But um, it's called Hagakure, The Way of the Samurai, right? The Book of the Samurai. Um, and it was all these, like, collected sayings of these Bushido warriors and what have you. Um, and all of it's insane because, obviously, the samurai are really a death cult. And, you know, um, uh, they're, they're, they're not a sort of a, a path that I think you, you want to uh, follow in this day and age. However... One of the very quick things that they said, uh, one of the writers said, which is really interesting, was if you're struggling to make a decision, um, you should make that decision in seven breaths, no more than that. Because the reason why you don't know, like you can take another 70 breaths, but you're not going to be any further in your dilemma. So you have a yeah. dilemma, 
Presumably, yeah. you've already gathered as much information. The reason why you have a dilemma because you've gathered like fifty percent here, fifty percent there. You don't know. It's like it, it could go either way. So you just got to make the decision within an artificial time frame because you could you could take another day. It's not going to help. Um, or worse, you could just infinitely put off the decision until the circumstances just reveal themselves to you. And that's the example of not making a decision is having the decision present, you know, having the circumstances be forced upon you. And that's a bad, that's a bad habit I've got. I neglect, uh, I should deal with that. Don't deal with it, leave it, leave it, leave it. And then eventually whatever terrible thing that I wanted to avoid happens. And I think, all right, that's happened. Whereas it would have been better. I just made decision. Um, you know, even if it, it goes wrong, it's better to make the decision early because you feel better about it. You feel more decisive. Feel more you know, your your morale improves by having made that decision. Um, so anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. What time? What are you doing this weekend, mate? Hey, what time is it? What for you? What time for, is it? for me? For, no, for you. Uh, Eleven o'clock. It's yeah. not that late. Is that bedtime or is it? Are you going out for dinner now? No, no, I've already had dinner, and and I'm 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 in the village right now, so it's like it's, there's nothing to do. It's finished, um, and I'm still a bit jet lagged, so I'm knackered. So I'll 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 close this off next week. I'll be back to normal, but I, I want to keep UK time, um, because um, probably might want to sneak in maybe a, a weekend show when I'm Asia Pack as well. So I, I do know Asia Pack is mega neglected simply because I'm usually in Europe. So um, so yeah, I'll I'll, I'll 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 look to do something Aussie, and you know maybe do a, a how to hire in you know, the Philippines or something. Um, cool. uh, might be quite interesting to do. All right, listen, I'll okay. let you go, mate. Cheers. Bye.